So thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Can you hear me okay? Because yeah. I didn't put on headphones and I didn't like, I'm just using the iMac microphone. No, you're perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Can you hear us? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Perfect. Great. Um, so I suppose, welcome back to the next episode of the Seek Strength Podcast. This is episode 18, 19? 19, I think. Yeah, so we have a very, very special guest today. So we're just going to explain that. So a lot of our listeners might not be weightlifters, a lot of powerlifters, crossfitters, uh, real athletes as we call them, people who do real sports. And uh, so Hook Rip is, so you're the, the CEO of uh, Hook Rip, I suppose it's fair to say. You're the founder. It's all you. Yeah, I don't really have a title. Yeah. We don't have titles, but yeah. I started it. Nice. Yeah. So originally, when I started weightlifting in about 2010, 2011, there was uh, the only people, the only videos on the internet of weightlifting were old YouTube videos of the Olympics. So like Sydney Olympics, like the 69 kilo classes there, there was like random potato quality videos. And then there was All Things Gym's website and people used to like, tra- like troll through like CCTV, like the Chinese national television for like do you remember those of really shitty quality clips of like chinese weightlifting and you get yeah you get like several seconds and uh i suppose along with crossfit but at hook grip and all things gym the two of you have really given people who have an appetite for weightlifting something to consume because the quiet the, the mass volume of content you put out is is phenomenal. huge yeah so like you've given people like i was talking to people at work today who like were just vaguely related to like the just train the gym and they've they've just seen your videos by sheer accent really yeah yeah i know the first place i started weightlifting uh they had hook grip posters on the wall yeah yeah so i think it's uh you've done a massive work hold on, for... hold on guys one one second yeah no someone i think there's a delivery here one second Sorry that's okay that. the audio quality is perfect yeah it's good actually his kind of quality is really good yeah Must be his trend. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. That's okay. Okay. That's, that's what happens when the employees are on lunch break and the mail guy comes at the basically <laughs> hour, hour early. On Fridays, they like to come early. So. Right. Okay. I wouldn't blame them. Yeah. Uh, so if you, I suppose the first place, the obvious place to start is, do you want to just get into why you started Hook Rip, how it started, what was the reasons, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it, the reason it started is because of the reasons that you said. Yeah. Which is that stuff was just low quality or just non-existent. And I was just a fan of the sport. And I was like, this kind of sucks. Um, It's tough to follow. You have to be too much of an internet detective to follow it. And that was pretty much it. I pretty much... I mean, it it also coincided with my... um, my like other career i was just kind of annoyed with the environment of uh because I, I used to do stuff related to online poker yeah okay and the legal environment was just getting more and more annoying um and so i was just like i kind of want to do something else and it kind of coincided with me getting interested in weightlifting and me realizing that weightlifting just had no presence really like no one was taking good media of it yeah and did you did you envision hook rip the way it would be now or were you just like i'm going to video some weightlifting and see what happens take some photos well photos was kind of the big thing really you started wasn't it 
Yeah, um, I mean, it was kind of a combination of things. I mean, I had some concept of where I was taking it, but it wasn't like I exactly envisioned, well, you know, in, you know, eight years, it's going to be Instagram slow motion videos or something. You know, like it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. that, that, like, exactly figured out. But I knew that I basically wanted to do a better job of promoting and covering weightlifting. I mean, that was the general idea kind of from the start. And were you a weightlifter yourself or strength training or CrossFit? or I know I've seen a de video of you deadlifting. Was it 250 Coles in 2014 or something? Um, Wait, what? You said 250 Coles? Was it 250 or 220 or something like that? There was some, um, some training I in the video. I did 250 cold at the 2017 Pan Ams. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, were, like, were you weightlifting yourself, or was it just like the sports and they're just kind of? No, I mean, I, I've done it for fun yeah. here yeah. and there, but um, but but not really. No, like I, I actually these days I pretty much haven't done like a true like snatch, clean and jerk, like front squat sort of style workout. Yeah. I mean, in years and years and years. But, really? Um, I still do strength training. Um, you know, I'll yeah. do like squats and deadlifts and presses and rows. And sometimes I'll do like power cleans or sometimes I'll do every once in a while, I'll do like some power snatches or something. But not not really. I mean, it's more so of an interest as like a fan than yeah. like I'm going to do this every day. I'm also I'm a little bit too old and too busy to do it. The problem with weightlifting is that you you have to practice it. You know, no one's yeah. like naturally a good weightlifter. No. Yeah, oh no. Whereas like something like squatting and deadlifting, I mean, I can take 3 months and not do a single one. Yep. And then come back and it feels natural. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. you know? Whereas with snatching, if you just decide to snatch once every 3 months, you're going to look like a giraffe, you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it never you feels natural, regardless. Yeah, you can take three days yeah. off snatching and it won't feel good. Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously some freak people who, like, let, let's say that you were like a professional weightlifter in like, uh, you know, some sort of like authoritarian state somewhere. Like, let's say you know you were a professional weightlifter in China for like fifteen or twenty years, and you started doing it when you were six or five. Yeah. Okay, yeah, if you take three months off, you're still going to be fine. But yeah. that's not the bulk of us. The bulk of us didn't yeah. do that. And especially me, I didn't do that. I didn't even know what a snatch or clean jerk was until I was like 29 or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically, like, I just can't can't commit to the, the training required and stuff like that to actually be a, a weightlifter. And what was your kind of sports background like? Did you play sports in school or...? Um, yeah, I played sports in school, but never, never at like, uh, a super high level, yeah. you know, like actually what's weird is that my, the, I don't know what you guys call it in over, you know, over in, you know, the, the European areas or whatever, but, um, like for us, it's called high school or whatever, but our, our school, like my, my middle school and high school, I guess in some places they call it junior high. Yeah. It's actually a great, great basketball program like we've sent multiple players to the nba okay um and it's one of those like wealthy suburban private schools that costs i think it costs like it doesn't cost this much when i went there keep in mind i graduated uh 
like 19 years ago. Yeah. But um, when I went there, it was a lot cheaper. But now I think it's over, thir- I think it's like 30 something thousand dollars a year to go there. Jesus, yeah. And this, is, this, isn't, this isn't university. This yeah. is yeah. Like high school. It's a very wealthy uh, suburban high school outside of Philadelphia. And um, I mean, even when I was there, a lot of the kids there were crazy wealthy. Like there were some kids in my class, like, you know, it was one thing in most high schools, you would get uh, um, like, you know, some, some kids would get get cars, like their parents would buy them like a cheap car or whatever. Yeah. Like at my high school, there were kids with multiple cars, like had like a sports car and an SUV. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I wasn't one of those kids. Yeah. I, I had like I did get a car, but my parents um, got me like a ten-year-old super beat-up Mazda that sounded terrible. That yeah. had like something wrong with the belt, so it had like a loud clicking noise, and like it was it wasn't anything fancy. Yeah, yeah. But um, the uh, anyway, so that school was a really, really, or is a really good basketball program. Like I said, multiple players to the NBA, multiple players like on like ncaa championship teams and stuff like that but i was never like a high level athlete i played sports but never high level yeah okay and so what was your first kind of like weightlifting memory um you know it's tough to say but i i was so with the poker stuff i was living in the cayman islands um not, not related to what people think. Like, it had nothing to do with, like, laundering money or whatever. <laughs> was it tax evasion? Because that's it, what I thought of first. <laughs> what's that? Was it tax evasion? Because that's immediately what I'd have thought of. You know, people... Okay, so there's a difference. I know that you're kidding, but there's a big difference. Hold on a second. I'm getting a phone call. And close. Stop. Okay. All right. I got to close Chrome so it doesn't ring. One second. Is that ringing your computer as well? Yeah, it my phone rings to my computer also. Okay. So I'm gonna um I just I just closed Chrome so it won't ring anymore. Cool. But um what was I talking about? Uh, oh tax the evasion. First oh, Cayman Islands, yeah, yeah. So um tax evasion. So it's not <laughs> okay, so in in all seriousness, Tax evasion and like tax minimization are two like very separate things. Yeah, and I can I can say this because my dad is actually a tax attorney. Yeah, okay. So he, he knows a lot about this stuff. Um, and I actually ran by the whole like I wouldn't even call it a scheme because it wasn't a scheme, but I ran by basically the whole like tax planning of the company I was working with by him. Yeah, and it was it was legitimate, but basically the rule was was that. If you were a company getting your income from non-U.S. sources, right? So we weren't. There were no poker sites based in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. So all of our income was coming from non-U.S. sources. If that's actually true. Yeah. And the brains of your company were based outside of the U.S., which means like you can't have something where like the CEO and the CFO and all the people making all the decisions are based in the U.S. That was a no-no. Okay. But if, if, if all of those people were based outside the U.S. legitimately and the decisions were being made outside the U.S., then you could basically um, not pay U.S. taxes. Now, that doesn't mean that... Um, You're evading anything that like that. Doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that I didn't have to pay U.S. taxes because right. I'm a U.S. citizen. 
Yeah. And U.S. citizens are actually required to pay U.S. taxes no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to, um, like... Now, there are, there are some things. Like, we have something called the Foreign Earned Income Tax Exemption, which means that... I don't remember what the number was. When I was out of the U.S., it was somewhere around 90000 a year. So, like, your first 90000 a year wasn't taxed. Yeah. Um, and then there's also... There's, there's some other... There were other tax benefits. So, basically, George Bush... Uh, our former president put in some tax uh, rules, basically, that that we took advantage of. Yeah. That um, later on, Obama let them expire. Okay. And when when Obama let them expire was one of the reasons I ended up moving back to the U.S. because the tax benefits that we were getting no longer uh, existed. Yeah. yeah. So, but it, it was a com- it was basically tax related, but it wasn't taxed evasion yeah, yeah, yeah because like i said as a, as a u.s citizen you do have to pay taxes no matter what but what's nice is that our company at the time didn't have to yeah yeah pay u.s taxes so that was a big uh represented a big savings for us so it was actually in essence because of the tax savings it was like we were being paid to live in cayman yeah okay yeah, compared yeah. to being in the u.s yeah by yeah. by yeah, by a, yeah. a large factor so that was why i was there but I'm anyway not... so i was living this is this is a long way of getting to how i got into crossfit and weightlifting but i was living in cayman due to the tax reasons um and then uh because of that there weren't that many gyms in the cayman islands and i was just looking for a gym and i googled gym cayman islands or grand probably grand cayman i can't remember um and so uh, only a few popped up, and one of them was CrossFit Cayman, which had shown um, just had basically started recently. I think they were founded in like 2009. Okay. And so that was pretty much it. Then I just thought, I didn't know what CrossFit was. I didn't have any concept of like CrossFit games or all these other CrossFits or this or that. I actually didn't even realize that it was like a like an international brand or chain or whatever. At the time, I just thought like someone had just started this gym that just did stuff that was different than a normal gym. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this sounds more interesting than wandering from machine to machine and, you know, choosing the stack of pins, you know, yeah, randomly. Yeah, yeah. That's like, essentially what I did before. Yeah. So um, that was my old programming. So, um, I just thought this sound more interesting, so that was why I started it. And that was kind of what started, like, oh, what's a snatch? What's a clean and jerk? Then going on YouTube, looking at videos, uh, realizing that I was really weak and all that stuff, That's you know? That's a bad realization. <laughs> well, I remember, um, I still remember the first day they had us do like the first time I'd ever done a front squat, I think in my life, I'd done some back squats in the process of doing sports when I was younger, but not, not really like weightlifting high bar style. They were kind of more like American football. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Box squat. Kind of. squat sort of um, or three quarters or quarter squats, I guess is what you call them. But, um, I remember the first time we did front squats, I think, no, this was all in pounds. So I guess it was, I remember it being something like 185 pounds, which I guess is like. 80 uh, 80 kilos, maybe 75. uh, 80 is 176. So I guess it was like maybe like around 85 kilos, somewhere in that range. 
And I remember doing a front squat with that, and I literally felt like my chest was gonna like fall off, and like I I I, I was yeah. like, oh my god, this is. I was yeah. like, this is insanely heavy. Yeah. And then I remember Googling like weightlifter front squat or YouTubing it or something. And I saw a video, which you guys have probably seen this video, but it was a video that um, Tom Gogaboer, the guy from Belgium, had yeah. taken of Dabaya front squatting 200 for five. Oh, I know the video. Yeah, the French lifter, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So Dabaya was like the Olympic silver medalist in the 69s from like 2008. And I think he was world champion in 2006 or something like that in Santo Domingo. And Tom had taken, Tom was, you know, obviously, I don't know, he was, I always joke with him that he's like a seven time Olympian, but he'd been at some <laughs> training camp with, yeah. the, with the French. Yeah. Um, and he'd taken this video and he put up this video of Dubaia front squatting 200 for five. I remember just being like, what? the fuck because like i you know like yeah. earlier that day i'd done like some 185 pound front squats that literally felt like the heaviest thing i'd ever done in my life yeah yeah um and then uh i remember seeing that video i was like what in the world like how is this possible yeah but um especially because i mean just given how small the guy was i was like that's that's nutty it was it'd be one thing if i'd seen some like strong man who weighs like 300 something pounds do it yeah or i guess 150 kilos or more or whatever then i'd be like well you know he's huge whatever whatever but like i saw this little ass dude (laughs) doing these huge front squats pretty easily like perfectly upright i mean that that i still remember that pretty vividly seeing that video it was like one of the first weightlifting videos i'd seen even though it wasn't snatch and clean jerk it was one of my first times seeing like an elite weightlifter lift yeah I remember that video. Yeah, it was. Uh, I can still remember it. That was insane. Those when you have those kind of like personal moments of realization, uh, they're like yeah. they can set you back for a few days. Oh, yeah. I, I remember going to like the university where we went for the first time, and there's a whiteboard with like all the PBs written on it. So it was like Owen was on it, Clarence Kennedy was on it, Cahill Bird, who's like an international weightlifter from Ireland, were on it. There were numbers I'd never even considered, like 230 kilo or 250 kilo of squats, and I was just being blown away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had a similar, you know, the Jared Fleming. I remember watching a video when I was like 16. I think he was back squatting. It was like it was like 200 for 10 or like 225 for 10 reps, and I was just like mind blown because I was like squatting like 120 at the time, and I was just like, this is, this is insane. Yeah. So um, you kind of... How did you go from, say, watching like the bio front squatting and stuff to where you were kind of were you always au fait with cameras and stuff, or was it just something you kind of picked up when you thought I'm going to do this hook grip thing, or were you were you always kind of interested in the the picture side as well? Um, I wasn't really into cameras. No, I didn't actually. When I went, my first meet that I went to was 2011 Worlds in Paris, and uh, I didn't even own a camera. I actually borrowed my dad's camera for that meet. Um, and my dad didn't have a bad camera, but also by, by my standards now, it wasn't a very good camera. So the pictures I took at that meet are really not that good, but, um, but a lot of it came down to, so I really got introduced to the sport, like I said, and kind of like, I would say it was like late 2009 was when I was getting interested in the sport in Cayman. Um, and I would say it was... Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was April 2010 when I moved back to the U.S. 
Um, and so I moved actually to Vegas for, for business reasons, basically. Um, basically the rest of the guys I was that the kind of like the other owners of the company were all, all wanted to move to Vegas. So like I said, for, it was basically beneficial for our business because people that we were working with would be in town multiple times a year. So it was just easier for us to be there. And yeah. we all yeah. kind of agreed on it as a place that we could live. And so when I moved there, I basically just searched uh, CrossFit Las Vegas when I was deciding where exactly to get a place because I wanted to keep doing CrossFit. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was how I ended up basically going to CrossFit Las Vegas, which was um it was in a different spot than where it is now um actually i, I kind of heard that it might have closed down but anyway yeah. um so you know in that process of of moving and that summer and a summer of 2010 and kind of getting more and more interested in it i went to a seminar that john bros held where pat mendez was living lifting at the seminar um and this was before the days of like 300 a day seminars i think the yeah, seminar yeah. was like twenty dollars or something yeah yeah. um and so uh i went to that seminar um just to kind of learn a little bit more about weightlifting and and that kind of kicked me off on like a real like youtube binge of weightlifting videos when because i i googled or youtubed pat's name saw a bunch of bros's videos of his lifts like which was obviously really nutty considering this guy was training five minutes away from where i lived um, and then it was kind of around the middle of summer when I realized like, oh, you know, let me see what competitions are actually happening now. It was kind of one of these things where I'd watched a lot of videos. I'd watched a lot of the videos on like Frank Rothwell's channel and I'd consumed a lot of what was out there. There was a lot less to consume compared to now, but I consumed a lot of the video content that I could find. And then I looked up, oh, the 2010 worlds are happening in Turkey in september i think it was so i um was i remember looking at the dates on like the iwf calendar and being like all ready to like look for live streams and stuff yeah and like the world started and nothing, nothing. like i couldn't find, i couldn't find a live stream i couldn't even find i i guess maybe if i'd known if i'd known then what i know now i would have known to look for like Eurosport, yeah yeah uh like pirated stream or like, you know whatever but i don't know if those were as common then as they are now yeah. uh who knows maybe there was a way to watch it but there was certainly no easy way to watch it yeah. i know that um and i was like this is ridiculous like this sport's interesting but like i literally had to wait for frank to put up the videos like later on yeah yeah, yeah. in order to watch it yeah and i remember trying to follow it and there was like nothing and like i remember looking um at the time i bought some iron mine stuff like i had some like captains of crush grippers and i bought some iron mine posters and stuff like that i remember looking on like the iron mine news section and randy was putting up like a daily article but it had basically no media or it had one picture or something like that yeah um and it was just like, there was just nothing. Like no one was attempting to make the sport like known to anyone. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like there were bad pictures out there. There were bad videos. Um, and, and that was it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go the next year and I'm going to take some pictures. And when I come home, 
I'll just put up photo albums on like a Facebook page or something. And then what I'll do is I'll tag the lifters and then that way we'll just help to kind of grow the brand. So my plan was initially was to basically take pictures of me, put up Facebook albums and tag lifters because that way the lifters would know about it. Cause otherwise, how do you let the lifter know about it? You yeah. Know? Like it wasn't like Instagram albums were a thing or even are a thing now. So if you wanted to put up albums, you know, I didn't really feel like posting images one at a time. Whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just slow and annoying. Yeah. So my plan was basically just to put up albums and to occasionally do one at a time ones of to kind of like highlight more elite things or to put up sequence photos or this or that. Yeah. And so um, that was that was basically what I did initially. And it was all spurred on because like 2010 worlds was like impossible to follow. Yeah. And so that was how I ended up thinking, okay, I'm going to go to 2011 worlds. And then um, in April of 2011, um, when I was already kind of planning on going to worlds, not necessarily to like build a brand necessarily, but I was planning on going worlds basically because I wanted to watch it and I would do some photo stuff to help other people see it. Um, then April 2011, there was this thing in poker, which ended up being called Black Friday, not related to the shopping holiday in the U.S. Okay. But there was a big, uh, basically the U.S., um, I don't know if it was like Department of Justice or whatever, but some some sort of legal uh, something or other in, in the U.S. There was basically a bunch of indictments unsealed against uh, a bunch of the poker site owners. Which wasn't us because I didn't actually ever run a site you could gamble on because that would be illegal. But um, it basically caused our company's revenue to go down by about eighty percent in wow. overnight. Holy Jesus. Shit. And so um, that wasn't that big of a problem because uh, I was I was wanting to stop doing it anyway because there had been signs that the sort of thing was coming you know yeah. it wasn't it didn't hit us completely out of the blue um but when when it actually happened then we had to like make some decisions on like how we were going to change our company so at the time i think we had like 70 something employees maybe like 75 um and we had a relatively big office space in costa rica and um what we basically did, what what happened because of these indictments was a bunch of big poker sites, like Full Tail Poker, which was actually based in Ireland at the time, um, and Poker Stars, which was based on Isle of Man. I don't know if it still is, but it was. Um, and a bunch of other sites all left the U.S. market. And so that's the reason the um, income went down so much, because of basically a bunch of the players we had signed up or players we were signing up were, were no longer playing. So um, what ended up happening was we ended up cutting the staff down to about 10 or 15 people, something like that. And I basically volunteered to leave the company early. So I, I had signed a contract um, which involved um, basically stock vesting in the company. And I was required to stay with the company for more than what I stayed with. But okay. I basically told the other owners I was like, if you'll vest my stock, I'll leave early and basically give up my salary and not be 
involved in day-to-day stuff of the company anymore. Yeah. And, and I basically offered that partly because we had to, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, you know, what we just, the company that wasn't bringing in enough money to do all the stuff that we were doing. It just said you just to leave at this time anyway. Like, it just kind of suited you to leave anyway at this time. Like, so it was just, you were. Yeah. I, I wanted to leave. I knew that I kind of wanted to do stuff related to weightlifting or possibly at, at the time I was still thinking about doing stuff related to CrossFit. Okay. Um, and um because i was really doing both you know it wasn't like i was strictly interested in weightlifting at the time and so um that that basically was what freed me up to kind of do stuff now i had planned on november 2011 going to worlds no matter what and just using it as like vacation time from the company yeah yeah but i ended up i believe it was uh end of july 2011 was like my official end date with the company where like i said i would still be an owner of it i'd still be involved but i just wouldn't do anything day to day yeah i wouldn't have like a salary i wouldn't have you know meetings with employees every day i wouldn't have tasks to do all that stuff and so end of july 2011 was right around when the crossfit games were happening so what i did was i was actually living in vegas still but I planned because I was leaving the company, I decided to move home to the Philadelphia area. And so um, I think my lease ended at my the place I was renting in Vegas around August 15th or something like that. So what I decided to do is I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go volunteer at the CrossFit Games because it's only about a four hour drive from Vegas to go to LA. So I went and I volunteered and in the process of interacting with CrossFit employees there, I was like, you know what? Like running a CrossFit related site is a really bad idea. <laughs> really? And it had nothing to do with me not liking CrossFit or liking weightlifting more or thinking, you know, CrossFit stupid. Like a lot of weightlifters have this attitude of like CrossFit stupid, weightlifting's cool. Yeah, definitely back then as well. You know, my computers went to sleep. Let me just hold on a second. Two seconds. All right. That should be better. Um, so uh it, it basically came down to just talking with some kind of the uh, you know i would say actually like fairly high level crossfit hq employees it wasn't like i was like sitting there talking to like dave castro about this but yeah i was talking to people who who worked at crossfit and stuff and it just sounded like a bad idea because it sounded like as like a private company they were like very interested in like controlling the media for their company okay, yeah. and they would never let like outsiders and this and that kind of get involved. And because it's like a trademark brand, you couldn't really do anything related to the brand. So it, it became too uh, apparent that they just weren't interested in having anyone make any companies related to them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was just like, you know what? Uh, that's fine because I'm kind of getting more and more interested in weightlifting anyway. Uh, so that was when I took a couple videos at that um at that basically crossfit games and they actually did well like like i have a video of like camille doing muscle ups that i think is still one of the most popular videos on the hook grip youtube oh slow motion um, is it a slow motion video for that? yeah it's like yeah. a slow motion muscle up video yeah so um i remember uh at that at that basically crossfit games was when i decided okay i'm gonna go the weightlifting only route yeah 
and so that was when I um, that was when I basically I think when I like a couple days after I got back from that I booked the trip to Paris and then you know it was kind of like from there it was like one thing led to another I was like oh this is actually more popular than I thought it would be yeah um, and then I was like I'll go to a couple more meets and see how it goes and then I was like well you know Olympics are coming up I you know let me see if tickets are available and there were still tickets available so I bought tickets way too late um compared to what i know now uh like for instance all the it's it's actually difficult to get tickets for tokyo i'm not sure if anyone if you know anyone who's tried but it's, no. it's a pretty difficult process it's kind of a lottery process isn't it what's that it's kind of a random it's randomly assigned isn't it you kind of put your name in um yeah yes and no um it de- it depends on the country and depends on which stage of the process you got involved but ended up buying tickets for London uh, maybe just a few months before the event, um, but there were still tickets available. And so then I went to some stuff in London and then that was popular. And then I was like, well, this is getting more popular. And then sometime maybe like a year after the meet in Paris was when people started commenting on stuff saying, hey, I want to buy a hook rip shirt because I didn't have a store for like the first year. Yeah. Um, and that was when they said, oh, I want to start buying a hook or buy a hook rip shirt. So then I ordered some and then I just had bins of shirts in my apartment. And then I was like, oh, you know, I should get something else. And then I got some like of the blue Chinese knee sleeves. And then then my apartment management started complaining about when they would get like shipments of like 30 boxes to the front desk. Yeah. And so then I had to find a warehouse. So then I got a warehouse and then. The first warehouse was down the street from where we are now, and then then we ended up moving warehouses in 2016. It was kind of like, you know, it just uh, just got out of control. Yeah. How were you sourcing your kind of your products then, like before, like the Chinese knee sleeves yeah, and like, stuff? How were you getting that kind of stuff? Um, it depends. You know, the the thing that everyone knows is Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as like a way to source stuff from China. And what I found with Alibaba is is that there is good stuff on there, but it's mixed in with just so much shitty stuff. We know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, everyone who runs any sort of weightlifting anything gets inundated with messages from guys in Pakistan. Yeah. So oh, we've got some of that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone gets that. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, like Imran Khan or oh wait I think that might actually be their prime minister. That's a prime minister, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a prime minister. But you know, it's some sort of like some some like Pakistani name, and they're always sending you stuff about like um, uh, uh, you know, like MMA gloves and stuff, yeah, and you're like, yeah. you, obviously, you have no idea what we do. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember actually years and years ago. Uh, you know, I'm still good friends with Bros. Bros is one of the you know John Bros. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you, oh, you yeah, know. yeah, definitely, yeah. But um, but I'm still good friends with Bros. I remember years and years ago, it was maybe like 2011 or something like that. He told me he was like, you know, I got this guy in like Pakistan who like offered to make like some some belts for me, something or other. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't think that's gonna go well, but you know, <laughs> whatever. So he. he he got in one of the sample belts and like literally put it on and it like tore in half. Oh, and he was like, all right, yeah, this isn't good. Yeah. But um, yeah, the ordering stuff from like those Pakistan companies is just a bad idea. But Noticed. Uh, yeah. in terms of product sourcing, um, 
Alibaba has definitely helped me to find some companies, mm -hmm. but but I got actually more out of actually visiting companies than 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 that. Like there's product sourcing fairs in China okay. that okay. you can go to, um, and those are very helpful. Um, I mean, they're they're the same as Alibaba, really. But the nice thing is, is that you're literally walking around amongst thousands and thousands of booths. Yeah. And if you go to those booths, like I said, like 95% of it's just crap. Yeah. yeah. But every once yeah. in a while, you can find places that seem like they can kind of do something a little bit more along the lines of what you're interested in. But Alibaba's can be helpful. Um, there's some other sites, like there's another site called Global Sources that's a little bit similar to Alibaba, but... Um, but it it has some benefits and drawbacks and then we also get some stuff like not from china so it just it depends like for instance the belt that you have yeah, you have the tan yeah. belt right yeah i do so um that belt's from russia great you know belt, it's not from china. it's great it's great belt yeah. very good belt yeah yeah i like those belts they're like you know they're a little bit frustrating because they don't put the best roller on it you know the thing that rolls on the on the buckle yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And so what we started doing was we started replacing the rollers. Like we actually have a, like a die press and everything to like replace. And we have basically thicker rollers. Yeah. So we started replacing them. So anyone who ordered one in the last year or two has gotten like the better roller, but the old rollers weren't that great. But the, the thing about that, that belt is that like the leather is really, really nice and it'll just last forever. Like yeah. you'll never tear it or whatever. Yeah. It's, if anything, your one's getting better yeah, it's, with a bit of wear. It's, it's pretty much perfect now. It's kind of molded. Yeah. The problem I had at the start was, you know, the second loop was, I, f I found it hard to um, put it through the second loop after, you know, the second kind of hoop. But now it's it's kind of softened up. Yeah. The leather was just a bit stiff. Like yeah. It, but now it's, it's uh, perfect. Well, the second loop, you really have to make sure that it's not too close to the first loop. Yep. What I do when I'm putting that on is I always pull the second loop to the side. Yep. Yeah. You know, because yep. if it's too close to the first loop, it was so hard, and it would let it. You're, you're not going to put it in. Yeah. It'll be. It'll. You'll spend like 20 seconds doing it. So, but you've kind of built up a good reputation. So now with your suppliers and stuff like that, they're kind of. Are you still mm -hmm. kind of vetting them as you go when you look for a new product, or is it just kind of you have your kind of guys? Um, it depends. Uh, okay, so for example, with the belt, the way that I met that company was because they, I think they had a booth at the 2014 Junior Worlds in Russia, which yeah. was in Kazan, Russia. Yeah. And I just bought a belt, um, you know, because they, they had their, you know, the, the actual ones that they sell in Russia have like a, um, I don't know what to call like a figure eight pattern stitched on the back. Oh. Like if you look at... Um, if you look at pictures, like if you pull up, uh, you know, this was a good example of it, but if you pull up like the, the ATG pictures of like Akulov winning at 2015 Worlds, yeah. he has some he has some back angle pictures. Um, and you can see that he's wearing a white belt with the, the like figure a, eight stick. Like an infinity. So, yeah, it's like, an, it's like a repeating infinity yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So... Um, I bought one of those because that's what they produce and sell in Russia. I bought one of those. I used it for about six months. I was like, wow, this is a great belt. Um, and that was when I basically contacted them and said, hey, I want to buy some. So that was why we first got those in 2015. So some of what have, some of our products is basically me just buying the product and being like, this is good. 
it was kind of the same thing with like the Polish shorts and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. They had they had some of them for sale, I believe, at 2015 Junior Worlds in Poland. So I guess Junior Worlds is where I source products, but um, <laughs> those yeah. Polish but, training pants are really yeah. good. I got yeah, a pair the from you. Training pants are cool. Like yeah. what I like about them is they're more reasonably priced and they do last mm. longer on the thighs. Obviously, nothing lasts forever with a no. sharp barbell. No. Yeah, um, yeah. But like I've seen people sometimes will tag me or um, send me pictures of someone wearing some pants with like print on the leg. Yeah. That literally, they wear it once, mm-hmm. and the print's gone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And or they'll get like running pants from that are like cheap running tights or something, and yeah. literally first session they're torn. Yeah, you I think know? I have so, like seven pairs of those Nike. They're like soccer training pants, and they're all torn at the yeah. front. Like yeah, every yeah. single one. Now, the, actually, the Polish material—it's a little bit frustrating for me because I have some material that's kind of like what's on the thighs of the adidas singlets if oh, you know what yeah, i'm talking about yeah, yeah yeah it's like much better it's called stretch cordura but basically it's like much better and much more durable and i want to put that on the front of the polish pants but the guy who makes that stuff in poland is like kind of difficult to get him to like do some customization work yeah okay. and, and and like What's funny is I always get these messages from people who are like, "Hey, I'm in I'm in Poland. Can I just buy some directly from Poland?" And I'm like, "No, because the guy doesn't like keep stock. He doesn't yeah, have a store. Yeah. He doesn't have any shipping infrastructure. The first time I ever bought stuff from him in Poland, it literally took him two months to fill out the paperwork required <laughs> to export the stuff from Poland. <laughs> like my my shipping like freight forwarder person who was basically in charge of picking up the stuff." Yeah, was like messaging me every other day, being like, "Can you bother him? Can you bother him? Yeah. Can you tell him to fill it out?" Like he's not—he's not like an e-commerce guy. Yeah. So, and he—he's not like it's not that easy to just be like, "Hey, can you customize this?" And like, if I shipped him stuff, he wouldn't even know how to import it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it'd just be. But I, I would like to do like a version two of those Polish things at some point with the even better thigh fabric. Yeah, yeah. Because the stuff that I have, you cannot tear it. Like, you'll wear this thing for years before it tears because of the barbell. Like, other parts of the short will break down before it yeah, tears. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I'm trying to remember. So, uh, you know, a more recent thing that I sourced was we, we um, you know, for years we've imported the Russian knee wraps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those were another thing that I found at 2014 Junior Worlds. Good year, um, so was it? What's that? That was a good year for products, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I'd heard about those wraps before. Like, if you know Yasha Khan, if mm. you've ever read, like, the Yasha Thoughts thing, I don't yeah. know if he still does that or not, but um, Yasha, I think I'd, I'd talked to him about them at, like, the 2013 seminars when Klokov and Ilya visited the U.S., and he was wearing them and stuff like that. And he mentioned how, they're like, they're only available in Russia and this and that, and then... I found them at Junior Worlds and found a way to kind of buy them and get them to us. Um, and, you know, I do like those Russian ones, but to me, they're a little bit too um, thin and, like, easy to break down. You know, they're they're good if you're... Um, well, there's a couple of things that they're good for. If you're willing to replace them every six months or something, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if you're not that serious with training. You know, if you're... If you're like 
you know, like you guys or Clarence or someone like that, who's like training every day or training multiple times a day and regularly front squatting and back squatting, like, you know, 200 to 50, 300, like ranges like that. Like they're just not strong enough to hold. Like you can't use those for two years back squatting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Too like they're, they're not that they're And the thing is that they're just too thin yeah. to be, yeah good for that like there it's not like there's a defect in the product they're just not durable enough yeah. for that were they the ones so, that clock off was selling were they the similar kind of material because yeah they're the same type. i tried yeah. those actually and they um clock offs ones and the problem i found was because the material is so thin and you had to wrap it so tight you just ended up cutting off circulation to get any kind of basically any kind of extra spring from the bottom yeah you know if you there were knee warmers essentially if you didn't wrap them incredibly tight yeah so they um yeah they, they also because they're so thin they just run out of spring kind of fast i don't know how yeah. to, i don't know like the technical term for that but the thing is is that i do like them as a product um because if you're not like crazy, crazy serious, like let's say you're like a, a female uh, 59 and you know, you're uh, snatching 70 and clean and jerking 90. Yeah. Like you do some lifting, but you're not like going, you're not going to worlds or whatever. Um, for that sort of level of lifting, they're actually great uh, because they're really thin and they allow you to like snatch in them and stuff like that without restricting too much movement. But they're also really soft and comfortable and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so maybe um, like a year or two ago, I decided I wanted to kind of develop a more durable knee wrap that still would be something you could weightlift in, not like a super thick powerlifting yeah. wrap. And so that one, I basically ended up writing to about, I don't even know, I would say at, at least 20, but maybe more than 20, maybe like 25 different companies. And some of them were on Alibaba and some of them were on global sources. And some of them were ones that I found literally just by Googling stuff. Um, and I ended up probably doing samples with, uh, I, I can't remember the exact number cause I did it over the course of like nine months or something, yeah, but yeah. I would say probably like seven or something like that, six yeah. or seven, somewhere in that range. Um, I ended up doing samples with those. So that involved me just like basically paying for a sample, paying for like courier shipping stuff, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then, um, obviously the first samples are never good from anyone because I was basically developing like a custom material because if you want to get that like thicker powerlifting wrap that a lot of people use that has like black with red stripes, I'm sure yeah. you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that sort of thing's pretty easy to find. Like you could go on Alibaba and find that and just buy it. Yeah. Like you don't have to do, you don't have to do anything. You just have to tell them how long you want it to be, how many pairs you want, and just buy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not anything unique, and you know there's already companies selling that on Amazon Prime for like really cheap amount, so it, it's not really worth it to get involved. Um, and and then there's. You know, if you want to get some other pre-existing fabric, it's not that tough. But I was essentially getting something where I was like, hey, I want it to be more durable than the Russian wrap. And for some of the companies, I sent them the Russian wrap. Not to say copy it, because I I mean, why would I copy something I already have? Yeah. But basically, um, to basically say like, hey, I want something as comfortable as this, 
like thicker, more durable, returns to shape better, et cetera, et cetera. So um, basically, you know, it was a matter of just going through iterations. The company I ended up going with to make that bandage, um, or that's what they call it. They call it elastic bandage, but um, the company I ended up going with to make that, I think I went through something like something like 10 different variations and even today you know i still have some sitting here this is this is this is some this is this is some from the company all right so it's a little complicated but the way this gets made this is this is not the stuff we're using um but the way this gets made is there's one company that makes the the band basically they make it in like 100 meter rolls or something like that yeah and then it gets sent to another company who like cuts it, sews it, adds the label, um, uh, wraps it up, puts it in bags, adds the packaging, adds the barcode, does all that stuff. And they're the one who exports it. Yeah. So the thing is, is that the company that I picked to do the band stuff was actually really, really expensive. Um, and maybe that's why it's, it's good, but, um, <laughs> They were charging about, I would say, 50% over market price for a similar product in China, which is a big difference. Yeah, yeah. sure. So the company that does the cutting and sewing has been sending me samples of other companies that make the bands because they want to switch to make the whole thing cheaper. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, this is a sample for a different company to make the band. But what I've realized is, is that it's just not as good. Um, so we're not going to switch to this one. Yeah. Yeah. But they've been sending me samples. I don't have any more on the, oh wait. Yeah, I do. Uh, here's, hold on. All right. So here's one. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another one. Yeah. Here's another one. Yeah. These are all from different companies. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'll see it. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it says like, it says knee wrap two on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I'm not actually sure if you could see the differences in these from far, but there there are some differences. Like, hold on a second. Let me just fold this one up. Ah, oh, crap. My computer just went to sleep again. I got to turn that off. <laughs> Start moving the mouse. Um, so this one... I don't know if you could, let me see if you can see the differences in these. You can see one of them is quite kind of shiny or something. It seems kind of a bit more. Yeah. This, yeah, yeah. This one that I'm holding closer is shinier than this one. Yeah. 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 There's so, definitely one that looks very much like the kind of ace bandage material. Were, were you looking for something similar to what like Ilya wears and he's kind of knee wraps or something that kind of thickness? Who? Yeah. Ilya's knee wraps. Were you looking for something kind of similar to that? I'm not sure I'm familiar with it. Who I I can't understand what you're saying. Ilya? No, Ilya, Ilya, alien. You know the. Oh, Ilya, yeah, Ilya. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, actually, Ilya's are really, really thin. Oh, really? Yeah, those those white ones that he uses. Yeah. Um, I remember feeling those a few different times. Like one time, uh, Gregor and I went to a training camp in Poland in 2015, and I remember feeling a couple of the wraps there. Yeah. And then. Um, I remember feeling them again when he was training in Romania before 2018 uh, uh, Europeans. He was there training. Yeah. Um, 
um, and a couple other times where I just felt like what he was using over the years, and they were just super, super thin. Really? Like they're they're more like knee warmers than knee wraps. Okay. Oh really? Oh, they we look... got we were, we were traveling last year and we were going training in Uzbekistan, and we got these. So they're from yeah. like a pharmacy, and they're really thick. Really thick. Like very thick. Um, but you get a lot out of them. They're like really comfortable to wear, but they're very very thick. Yeah. That's yeah. I thought Ilya's they looked so thick they looked like they're like re, like almost powerlifting thick like but obviously not. Yeah. No. Not not the ones that I've felt. No, it's possible that like he switched to something else now or okay, this yeah. or that, who knows, but um but the ones that I felt were just like crazy crazy thin. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't think they would be like well received in like the western market or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um but basically Stacks like this, I I have literally bins and bins full of yeah. sample knee wraps, just from the development of those knee wraps. Yeah. Because, you know, it's you. Know, I mean, I feel like someone who's never done product development would get these and be like, okay, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that there's little things that are wrong with them that are going to cause the product to not be as good. Um. And I don't really want to go into all the details of exactly how I test it and what I yeah. do to test it because I don't want to give people that much of a clue. Okay. Yeah. But, um, you know, I do a lot of, I've done, I've learned a lot about how to test products because when you have some products fail um, and you see like how they failed and trying to fix them, you start to learn a little bit about like what, what are the good ways to like stress test a product without, um, I mean, obviously, the best way to test it is just to, like, send it to 50 people and wait a year. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't want to wait a year, then you've got to find ways to accelerate the testing. So I've, I've like, built some devices and come up with some plans for how to test these things. And, you know, when you've got, you know, eight samples sitting in front of you, it, you actually have to be able to test them. Because if all you do is just pull it out, tug on it a few times and be like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put it down, pick up the next one, tug on it a few times. Like you're not going to really be able to make any good decisions um, on like what's going to last longer, what's going to look better, what's going to be kind of like best received as like a product and this and that. So I do a lot of like objective and subjective tests on the stuff I get. And then, then eventually I just picked a band that I liked, like a sample that I liked, um, you know, that basically was the best of all of them. Um, and that was when we ordered ordered them and now now i'm planning on reordering them because the new knee wraps we got have been really well received like i haven't gotten a single quality complaint about them which is kind of crazy for a new product normally yeah, we yeah. would get something normally i would have like overlooked something here or there but it seems like this one has done really well um the people that are wearing it all give me good feedback um, I get tagged in Instagram posts all the time with people who are like, you know, hey, I've been using these for three months and they look brand new, which for, as you know, for knee wraps is not normal. Yeah. No, um, no definitely. And so, uh, now, now I want to reorder them, but this company that I work with that does the cutting and sewing is trying to replace the, the more expensive company. Oh, okay. Um, so, but I, I think I'm just going to reorder with the original company because they haven't really managed to match um, some of the key 
like durability features that I was looking for. Yeah, if it's not broken. So that's Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm I'm all about uh, you know, saving like money or whatever if if it's the same thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um cuz I mean, you have to be as a business owner. I mean, I remember we switched didn't switch, but we started diverting some of our t-shirt orders to a different company. Yeah. Who could literally only they saved us about 50 cents a shirt. Yeah. But the thing is that that adds up, yeah. you know. So, um you know, if if I could save, you know, a dollar a pair of wraps, I would definitely switch if if it was as good. Yeah. But um but I just haven't I haven't found uh I haven't found something that I'm I'm really as happy with and I want to like I want to compromise the product over a dollar for a pair of wraps. That's just stupid. So, yeah. Have you? But I think we're gonna order more and order more colors and stuff like that. Have you ever thought about bringing out a barbell? Because it it seems like a natural evolution of Hook Rips products line. Um, not not seriously. No. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. One is that the barbell market is a little bit annoying because things are heavy and they get beat up and people have like are gonna make like warranty claims and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um. And trying to figure out, oh, did someone abuse this by like dropping it on its end on concrete outside of their CrossFit and stuff like that is just kind of seems like an annoying business. Two is that there's a lot of competition and the few times I have looked into barbells, it just seemed relatively high competition and low low profit margin. Yeah, the, the um, quality is pretty good right now. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, Rogue and some of the other companies in the US, like there's some companies that are importing from China that have, I would say, so-so barbells from what I've seen. Um, and obviously Rogue is making them in the US yeah. at, for, for fairly competitive prices. So it's just like, I, you know, and you know, not to mention things like trade wars and stuff, if yeah. we were to you know get them from China, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, and then there's also another bigger factor, which is that I even even if we could make decent money from it, um, I've never tried to kind of prioritize making money with Hooker. If I've always tried to prioritize the content, um, now there's some times where I've had to, you know, put the content on the back burner because of some issues with the store, but but for the most part, I try to prioritize the content stuff because it's what i think is kind of good both for hook grip and for the sport yeah and so the problem is is that if you get into the barbell business then you're essentially competing with the companies that are some of the major sponsors of the meat oh, yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. it's a big conflict of interest you know? yeah so i like the last thing i want is to start a barbell and wait brand like you know what i mean like start a barbell and weight plate like bumper plate and change plate and collar line of products and then all of a sudden have rogue be like oh wait these guys are competing with us we don't want them shooting u.s meat oh, yeah yeah that makes i know that actually makes perfect sense yeah yeah for sure you know it's the same thing internationally it's like hey you know uh let's say like aleco sponsoring europeans and they're like well you know why would we want a competing barbell company to be yeah shooting this meat yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. That makes total sense. So that's like another big factor. I don't really want those companies to see us as competition because I don't really see them as competition. Like I don't look at Rogue as 
a competing company and I don't look at, um, you know, Aleco or yeah. whatever as a competing company. Um, and that's kind of like how I, that's one of the reasons as well. So one of the kind of big questions I had was the first thing I ordered from you was Anta weightlifting shoes. And, uh, yeah. I'd been seeing Antas for so long and like seeing Chinese lifters wear them for ages and I always wanted a pair. And then I finally had enough money to be able to buy them from you. And I think you shipped them to a hotel where my dad was working in the US and then he brought them back with him. Uh, but okay. how hard was it to get a contact with Anta in China and try and get that going? Um, it wasn't hard. Uh, actually, I got kind of lucky um, because so basically at... I think the first time that I ever saw the Antas in use in a competition was, and I wasn't at this meet, but I remember seeing the videos. It was um, that his, his name's like Meng Chang, but he was the 56 kilo youth Olympic champion in non, Nanjing in China. I think I remember him, yeah. 20, 2014. So I remember seeing them. And I remember being like, oh, those are cool. What are those? This and that. And at the time, I didn't even know for sure that they were Antas. I knew that I knew that there were two big companies in China. There's basically Leaning and Anta. And I, I knew it looked like the Anta logo, but I wasn't even like 100% sure they were Antas and this and that. So I went to the 2014 Worlds kind of thinking like, hey, maybe I'll try and talk. Because I knew the Chinese team manager. And I'm... Um, this guy named Larry. So I knew Larry, I don't know his Chinese name, but, um, <laughs> you know, all, all Chinese people have like a English name cause we yeah. can't remember their Chinese name. We can't remember or say their Chinese name properly. Yeah. So this guy, this guy, Larry or went by Larry. Um, but he knew enough English for me to talk to him. Most of the Chinese team doesn't know English. So I remember I mentioned to Larry in the training hall at 2014 world in Almaty, I was like, basically like, Hey, like, do you know who, like, who makes those shoes? Because I hadn't even confirmed it was Anta at the time, or Anta is the way that they say it. But I hadn't even confirmed it at the time. And so, what was funny was I was literally sitting next to Larry and some other people from the Chinese team, and he was like, "Oh, he's like this guy right here." <laughs> so it was I, when I when I brought it up to him, literally the guy from Anta was sitting right next to him. Okay. Who also that guy speaks enough English. Okay. Yeah. And so I got introduced to him there. We exchanged contact details, and then we ordered some shoes. Nice. Yeah, they're definitely, they're a great pair of weightlifting shoes. Definitely by far the best. Um, you mentioned you might be able to sell them again, at some point. Yeah. So basically, um, we got this was actually weird, um, because this was last year. It's weird to think it was almost a year ago. I must have been because it was when I moved. But basically, I moved to a different uh, apartment. And I remember about two weeks or three weeks after I moved into that new apartment, I came home to a notice like stuck in like my screen door, my front door, that basically said like such and such legal uh service company is looking for you and has made multiple attempts to contact oh, you uh, so uh, i was i was like i was like what in the world is someone suing me? like who's suing me like yeah. for yeah. what um and so uh, like i mentioned earlier in the podcast or, or video cast whatever this is i mentioned um 
that my dad's an attorney. So I was just like, you know, even though he's not like, you know, he doesn't know much about this like IP stuff. At the time I didn't know it was related to the Anta Brooks thing. Okay. But at the time I thought maybe someone was suing me. I was like, maybe someone like injured themselves in the knee wraps and decided that they wanted to sue. But I was like, you know what? No one's complained to us about it. Like we've like, I was like, this is a weird situation. Um, and so I just couldn't figure out what I could possibly be getting sued for. So I sent my dad the notice. He, he received the, like, he basically accepted, um, service on behalf of me or whatever. Okay. I don't know if it works the same in Ireland, but in the U S like you have to actually be served with the legal complaint. I don't think it's the same here. No, it'd be, it'd probably come through the police force kind of official routes. You know, you'd, you'd, I know if you, if you're going to court, uh, like the police come to your house yeah. and give you a notice. Yeah, and so it's here. It's something similar, but it's not the police. But someone, someone like officially, has to give you notice of you being sued. Okay. Or so my dad ex- called the company and basically accepted service, and it turned out I wasn't being sued. So that was good news. <laughs> always um, good news. Yeah, always good news. But it turned out that we were being subpoenaed by Brooks, um, which I'm, I'm sure if you know what I'm talking about, you know yeah, that Brooks yeah. is like a running company or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we were being subpoenaed by Brooks, and they were essentially asking for any evidence of any confusion on the parts of customers with us selling Anta shoes because they were looking for evidence for their case. So they were looking for... Um, like, let's say a company, uh, you know, if like a customer had ever written to us and been like, hey, do you guys have some of those Brooks weightlifting shoes I've seen oh, lifters yeah. wearing? Like, Has I heard happened? that you guys sell. Does that happen? Has but that... The, thing, the thing is, is like, before this whole uh, lawsuit, like I said, not involving us, but between Brooks and Anta. Yeah. I had never heard anyone call them Brooks weightlifting shoes, <laughs> ever. Like, I'd heard a lot of people be like, hey, what are those? Yeah. What yeah. shoes is wearing? Yeah. I mean, I'd seen that literally hundreds of times, but like I I had never heard, seen anyone ever comment, are those Brooks shoes? I'd never gotten an email like, hey, are those Brooks shoes? Like ever. Yeah. So we literally just responded to Brooks and was like, we, we have no record of any customer confusion regarding your brand whatsoever. Like, so so that was pretty much it but um but then i ended up uh mentioning it to anta and they mentioned to me they're like actually you should stop selling the shoes because there's um there are multiple cases ongoing in the u.s court system and you know one of the things if you google it like anta versus brooks or brooks versus anta i'm not sure which one but if you google it you'll see some cases where the judge essentially said uh, there's no uh, confusion and it's yeah. like basically like Brooks doesn't have a case or something like that. Um, but there were some other cases going on at the time that weren't easily Googleable. I'm not sure why some things show up and some things don't. But for a while, we had to basically sit on our stock. And at one point, Anta had agreed to buy them all back for a certain amount of money, which was less than what we were selling them for, but more than what we bought them for or whatever. Um, and so I essentially couldn't do anything with them for a while. And then eventually, like literally like six months later, 
Anta is like, actually, if you want, you can continue to sell them. <laughs> so I got that message, uh, I would say a couple months ago, and I just haven't put them back up yet. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but the thing is, is that we don't have that many. Like, and we have very limited sizes. Like, most people are looking for size like 9.5 or size 10, or yeah. I'm talking US sizes. Yeah. I don't know about UK sizes. But, um, basically uh you know we we don't have any of those sizes those sizes sold out a long time ago i do have a couple like you know size 11s and size 12s and stuff so we will put those up um actually relatively soon i was planning on putting them up this week but then we our power actually got knocked out for like 36 hours Ooh. um due to some wind storms in this area so it kind of delayed a couple things i was doing this week but um, I will put those back up pretty soon. Um, I don't know how how long until you guys put this live. Uh, probably three days. Yeah. Maybe uh, Sunday right. night or Monday evening. Okay. It, it might actually be up by... Those shoes might actually be online by the time that you uh, put this up. Um, uh, I was basically waiting for a couple things, um, but uh, I think there's a chance. If not, it, it'll definitely be up next week. Yeah, okay, perfect. Watch this space. Um, there's yeah. the other thing. Sorry? Watch this space. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's su it's such limited sizes that unless you're looking for like a size like 11 or 12 or like a 6 or something. Yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't have them anyway. So it's yeah, really yeah. not it's not going to be that big of an event. But then we're also getting um a new colorway. We're going to get black and white oh. in like a slightly revamped Anta design. It's like a different it's kind of like an evolved design. Is it better? It's similar. It's really functionally the same. Yeah. But, uh, but it's like a slightly different design. Um, and we'll get those next year. Nice. Um, the thing is that it takes them a long, long time to make them. Yeah. Like from the date that you send them the order deposit, it's about a six-month process. Oh, really? Jesus. Is that a and massive then, order? Is that a big order? Like, Is that like hundreds of shoes kind of thing? Or is that just... No, that's a minimum order. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, well, would... First of all, a minimum, a minimum order is uh, a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the minimum order for a custom colorway takes six months. Jesus. I thought they'd be like, next week, everything would be done. You would have your shoes. Well, not have your shoes, but they'd be. Yeah, very finished, quick. I would assume. No, no, no. Because the, there's a lot of processes that have to happen for them to make those shoes. Like, they need to order the fabric, they need to, like, stamp it with stuff, and they need to um you know get all the heels made and like the plastic therm thermo forming yeah you know yeah, whatever yeah. get all that that stuff done and there's a lot of processes they've got to do and then especially when you're doing a new color like um we'll do black and white um but even you know black and white simpler but if you're doing like a real like custom color then they've got to like test different dyes and this and that and get like because imagine you know with the black and red they had to get the red to match you know what if the red is different shades all over the shoe yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so doing stuff like that is actually relatively time consuming that people don't realize yeah so, um we will have the black and white ones in 2020 though nice. um and then, then yeah. there's the other thing after it takes six months for them to make them you know if i were to airship those from china to me it would cost um, over ten dollars a pair. Jesus. To ship that. Jesus. Yeah, that's a and huge that's not cost. Including the duty. 
like yeah. we keep in mind we've got to pay a relatively large like import tariff and that has nothing to do with the um uh with like the trade war even beforehand yeah like when i would get a batch of shoes i don't want to like reveal how many we order and yeah this and that, yeah no problem but literally the tariff that i paid on one order of antas was in the over ten thousand dollar u.s range Jesus. Like, like the five figure u.s dollar range yeah and it was just, just the tariffs yeah to bring them in yeah yeah just to bring them in and that's not including the cost of the shoes that's not including yeah. the shipping it's yeah. not including trucking and this and that so it is uh um a fairly costly thing but you know it is what it is I actually, I, the reason I like having the Antas is more so that's kind of a unique thing. Like, there's yeah. really no place to buy them in the Western world. No. Um, I guess. The I closest thing would be the guy in Korea who imports them. But he's out of a lot of sizes, so there's a lot of... They're, they're, it's it's a struggle if you want to get Antas yeah, in certain yeah. sizes. They're, he's are pretty expensive as well, aren't they? compared to what you're charging yeah i think he's charging like 250 plus yeah, for yeah. a pair of shoes plus you know that's before you get into the shipping and stuff yeah and so, a lot of people don't like the whole like mcdonald's color scheme and a lot of people no. don't like the you know having china on the shoe yeah oh yeah so you know so if you if you want to get the ones from china they're a little more reasonably priced yeah if you know how to get them um not through a more expensive reseller yeah but they're uh you know they're only available in that colorway with china on the shoe now now some people are like china you know fangirls and fanboys who only want the china edition like yeah, yeah. they would you know their you know their foot would fall off if they put on like the hooker version <laughs> but like when they put on like the china version they yeah. you know all of a sudden you know they get magical fairy dust their probably. snatch but, goes from 45 kilos to 47 <laughs> kilos <laughs> but you know there's it, it all depends on the market segment you're talking yeah. about but, but for the most part there's a lot of people out there who want the shoes but they don't necessarily want that colorway or or the the china market yeah. so you've you've yeah, talked well, about the trade war a few times how is that affecting you as a business um it hasn't affected us greatly because um you know how like uh they kind of pause the I'm not sure how closely you guys follow it, but they kind of paused the tariffs for a while. Yeah. Or like the 25% tariffs were implemented like um, a month or two ago. Okay. And we actually haven't had a big shipment of stuff from China since the 25% was actually implemented. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the problem is, is that our next uh, shipment will be... Um, uh, will will have some in, increased costs so we might have to increase some prices on some products i just have to wait and see because i was kind of hoping because i know you know not to get into politics but trump really doesn't seem to know what he's doing <laughs> so i'm like and and don't get me wrong like i'm i'm not like one of these like trump extreme trump haters yeah yeah yeah, like yeah. The, the the devil who you know is you know out to you know literally you know like kill every immigrant or this like i i i think that trump actually i kind of like some of the things he he does but he clearly is dumb you know what i mean <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah I, I i'm saying i guess i don't know how to put it but i kind of like some of the concepts of 
pushing China in the direction of not like a lot of his complaints about China are actually true. Yeah. Okay. Like the whole like stealing intellectual property from Western companies and that's colossal. Like, um, that's yeah. Absolutely enormous every year, isn't it? Yeah. And th- th- they actually do that, and that's true. God damn it! Computer went to sleep again. Um. Okay, back. Uh, I don't know why, because I, you know, I gotta figure out how to shut that off. Um, but. And, and some of the other things that he he says about China are true. Like they do close their market to, and they're not that friendly to a lot of outside companies. And they do really promote Chinese state-owned industries. And so, like, I'm not saying that everything Trump says is wrong. Yeah. But he's clearly stupid. Yeah. So, I'm kind of I was kind of hoping that he would, um, like, just kind of like end up coming to some sort of agreement to to basically be able to tell all like the Trump followers, oh, you know, look, I won, blah, blah. Like, I don't think that he, I, I thought that he would, especially given that the the whole thing with North Korea is obviously never going to happen. Yeah. And some of his other, uh, quote, like trade disputes and stuff like that, um, you know, I, I just felt like the China one was makes sense for him to resolve at some point. So I kind of keep hoping that he will kind of resolve it and we won't have to pay and increase prices and this and that. Yeah. So I kind of got a little bit lucky that we got a bunch of big shipments in this spring. Um, and I'm also lucky that the Anta shoes aren't one of the things that are are hiked up to 25%. So with the Anta shoes, we'll still pay the same import okay. duty rate that we were paying. Which is still a lot of money, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's not—it's not twenty-five percent, so it yeah. didn't—it didn't increase, um, as far as I know. Now maybe it will by the time we get them. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I suppose. But uh, but thus far, the trade war hasn't like directly impacted us beyond me kind of uh, waiting to order some stuff and okay. trying to wait to see what happens. I suppose that kind of leads us on to a bit more weightlifting related aspect of politics and some kind of segue because you you've been there since I kind of started weightlifting as well so you're kind of there's been a big shift in terms of just general weightlifting the kind of atmosphere around it, the politics and you've been you're in a fairly good position to kind of comment on because you're there personally at all the competitions like almost all of them you know you know a lot of the lifters and are you optimistic about the future of weightlifting or are you kind of like like the rest of us just kind of wondering what's going to happen in the next couple of years bit of a broad question uh, and you don't have to obviously you know a lot of your friends are a lot of lifters and you know them so you don't need to kind of yeah be so the, the trouble is is that i'm i'm not really convinced that uh put it this way i'm not convinced that all these countries that have not been hit hard or actually clean yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah and so i kind of wonder if there's kind of like a thailand style reckoning coming for some of these countries at some point yeah yeah you know um and i wonder how many more of those kind of scandals weightlifting can weather before the ioc says forget it Yeah. yeah you know so that's uh kind of a bigger um uh, it's, it's a relatively large discussion to try to um kind of figure out what weightlifting can weather and what's a good thing because like obviously you need some positives to show your 
cracking down. But yeah. you know, what if uh, what if after um, you know 2019 world, like what if like six countries end up in a, like a Thailand situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And I, I mean, what happens then? It's just like oh, like oh shit. You know, that's like like that that could be like a death knell for yeah. for whale thing. So. And who knows? Um, I mean, the, the thing that gives me pause about the future of weightlifting thing is that I'm not convinced that all these countries have stopped doping. No. So, and I'm not, I'm, and by that, I don't mean like individual athletes because I, I don't think there's anything you can do to stop individual athletes from doping. Yeah. But I'm just talking like kind of like coaches and federations yeah. getting involved. Like I I still think that's happening and so that's kind of a problem you know yeah. and you know what's going to make them stop if the last couple of years haven't made them stop yeah, what's going to yeah. make them stop you know there seems to be like a load of big broad sweeping statements and big gestures that like uh the iwf are making and it's like oh they're banned for two years or they're banned for three years and then yeah. it's all going to be okay afterwards whereas realistically there's probably not that many actual permanent changes are going to come out of it. I think something interesting is I think Ilya has kind of he's doing something very admirable at the moment so as as we've said before um, I would love to see him lift I want to do 250 in competition you know for as weightlifting fans at some point, everyone appreciates. You just want to see the biggest fucking weight lifted by the lightest person, whatever you know, something crazy, you know. And like what he's doing now is very. It's uh, I can appreciate what he's doing, and it it is very um, I suppose I can respect what he's doing. You know, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah. Do you think? How have you met Ilya recently about it? Like, have you talked to him? Does. Um. I mean, I saw him in Tokyo at the test event. Um, and I've seen him at other competitions. Like I saw him at Asian championships and he was obviously physically there at worlds, even though he just weighed in. Yeah. yeah. So I've like, I've physically seen him like several times, but I haven't like talked to him extensively about the, like his like comeback process. And I mean, I think we can all agree that he's either lifting clean or lifting like very very minimally enhanced yeah, yeah, like yeah. If, if, if he is on anything it's like he's definitely not on like loads of anabolic steroids because no, no. we all know what he looks like when he's on loads yeah, of anabolic yeah, steroids yeah 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 not no look, <laughs> i mean you know i with with a lot of these countries too like even russia it, it seems like a lot of their lifters are are basically taking the whole like clean thing relatively seriously yeah, it looks like it yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, is like, there's a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, they, they almost have this attitude of like, you're not going to fool me. Everyone's still on drugs, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, you know, the, the trouble is, is that Russia's numbers are so much lower. Ilya's yeah. numbers are so much lower. So you either have to agree with one of, I guess, three things. Like you either have to agree that they're not on anything that's one possibility or they're on stuff, but it really is like minimal and not helpful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're still on shit and they forgot how to take, they forgot like how to dose stuff. Yeah. You know yeah. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like you, when they, when they're doing lower numbers and making things harder, you have to agree that one of those three things is yeah, yeah. what's happening. Right. Yeah. 
because you know what they can do. Like you've seen Albegov clean and jerk like two fifty five. You've seen Albegov snatch two ten. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've seen Ilya clean and jerk into the two forties, and like you've seen, you know, Alexander Zaitchikov clean and jerk like two thirty. Like yeah, like all the all this stuff. So, I mean, or I guess you could also make the argument that they're just not training hard. But I think that's unlikely that they're like yeah. all of a sudden they decide to not train. Yeah. But it's much more likely that they're either not on shit or they're on minimal, non-helpful shit. Like, you know, like, we all know, like, okay, they're on, like, some sort of, like, testosterone booster that you yeah. can buy yeah, from, like, yeah, the yeah. drugstore that doesn't do anything. You see yeah. those things on their Instagram, like the echo testosterone kind of, you know, borderline useless but borderline anabolic supplements, yeah. you know. I think, like, yeah. what's happening now is very different from what happened in cycling in the late 90s, where they had, like, multiple like new dawns and the problems were fixed and this is going to be the new year and like and then they come back the next year and the tour de france is the fastest times ever and that happened yeah. like two or three times and you're just like who who are they trying to fo- like yeah. to fool are they trying to fool like journalists and people actually watching the sport or yeah, just general yeah like in way yeah. same things happened in weightlifting too i suppose like lifters who've been popped previously and they've come back and hit world records and are currently yeah. doing it and I, everyone knows who those lifters are you know there's there's numerous examples and um do but you, there definitely are a few lifters at the moment who look like yeah it has been toned back seriously do you think Ilya could make the olympics in the current state um i i would say no yeah. but um you know, there there are ways for him to kind of like I wouldn't say sneak in. Yeah. But you know, if enough of the the Asian ninety sixes get into the top eight, like let's say that um like Miso and uh like, you know, Tian Tao and all these people are all in the top eight. Mm-hmm. You know, ninety six is not like a crazy competitive um category in Asia. Yeah. Um, there are obviously a few countries. There's there's Iran, there's China with Tian Tao, but beyond that, it's like there's not too many. And obviously, there's there's um, Miso Asona and whatever. Yeah. But um, beyond that, there's not there's not. It's not like there's like great like ninety uh, six is all over the place. I mean, Thailand has that that guy who's pretty good who was a ninety four. Um, his name's like uh, some some Pradit Sarad or something like that. Did he get banned as well though? Recently? What's that? Did he get? I thought he got banned recently, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm just going through oh, different sorry, people. Yeah. But Th- Th- Thailand's not competing anyway. Yeah, so yeah, they can't matter. go. Um, but I'm just going through like there's there's just not like you know the best 96 in Japan is Toshiki. Um, in uh, in Korea the. Hong John Hoon is probably their best, and he's not not really that good. Um, so, and like Taiwan is basically non-existent in the ninety sixes. Yeah. Like, so the thing is, is that I do think that if uh, the bet, like if the best thing that could happen to um, to Ilya would be for Miso, um, uh, if he goes, So Rob and Tiantao all to be top eight. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I think he could get that kind of continental spot as a 96 and yep. be the only only Kazakh. But the problem for him is that he needs to make sure that no one else from Kazakhstan is ranked higher because it's not like the old system where, you know, 
Kazakhstan could be like, well, you know, Ilya is our star. We're sending him. Yeah. You know, like I think if someone else is ranked higher, I think they go before him. So, yeah. you know, they're like they do have a good young uh, ninety six. That guy uh, Artyom Antropov, who oh, I think he yeah. got second in the world this year. Yeah, he did like two or five or something, wasn't it? And he can clean jerk like two ten. Yeah. So, you know, Ilya's got his competition. Yeah. You know, and that guy's a junior too. So who knows if he'll go to worlds and do bigger numbers like juniors can increase their numbers fast so yeah, you yeah. never know i suppose Ailey is in a weird position as well because it will be incredibly obvious if he does do anything if he's doing nothing now or if he's doing a little bit if he yeah. does anything major like it'll be just outrageously obvious i suppose and yeah it's, i doubt it'll happen yeah, I mean, you know i think it's got to be like tempting to yeah it must be to like yeah. get back onto something for for someone like Ilya, but who knows what he'll do like uh i mean i think also having gone to some competitions and not won it takes some of the pressure off of him as being this like weightlifting superhero who never loses yeah yeah like i actually think it was a good idea for him to do that because it, it lets him actually train and try to compete for medals like a normal human not like a superhuman yeah yeah um and and it would be good you know if he can actually like the thing about Ilya is that like his technique is is real like you can still tell it's him lifting when he's lifting even though yeah. the numbers are lower yeah and like he, there isn't the same like explosion and power and all that stuff but you can still tell it's him lifting and I still think he's got a good feel for the barbell. And I still think he's got a strong mind and, you know, he still has been lifting for 20 something years or whatever. Cause he's like 30, 31 now. Yeah. So, you know, he's still been lifting for, for 20 years. Like even if you're not on drugs, like if you lift for 20 something years and you have really solid technique and you have a really strong mind and you have a, strong desire to train and you have a good training environment like you can still do good numbers yeah, yeah. sure like he's not going to clean jerk 240 something but he still can do good numbers like, yeah. yeah um i suppose we'll kind of move on for a bit more lighthearted kind of weightlifting content if you yeah. what's kind of what would be the most impressive lifts you've seen in person you think maybe in training halls now or competition is there anything that springs to mind um training hall probably no i know that you know, it's tough to say because, I mean, obviously the most impressive training hall stuff is what Lasha does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want um, to exclude him maybe in just kind of something less obvious? Yeah, I mean, partly the reason that's not so impressive with Lasha is because he makes it look so easy that yeah, at yeah, no yeah. point is it is it interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, even though he's in there snatching 210, like, easier than other people can snatch, other, other elite supers can snatch 180. Yeah. Um you're just like, yeah, well, you knew he was going to make it. Yeah. You know, but I would say watching, um, even though it's the same number, watching Saeed Ali Hosseini snatch 210 was pretty, yeah, uh, pretty impressive. Um, I still need to put up that video. We still have a YouTube video for that that has, has never been, never been published. The, but, um, Saeed training, is it? What? Is it him training? Is he's doing 210 or something? No, he did 210 in the Asian Games training hall in Jakarta last year. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. About, about a year ago. It was in August of 2018. Or was it July? I can't remember. Um, anyway, uh, 
trying to remember what else. I mean, obviously, in terms of lifts in person, the Ilya 242, like, has to be up there just yeah, because it, of the yeah. pressure of the moment, the, like, being at, at home making it's like a do or die situation yeah, yeah. it's like the third world record in a row like like i don't think i'll ever see a lift and once again i don't i don't really care that he was on drugs or whatever but like i'll never think i'll see a lift with that sort of like storyline behind it with that sort of like okay you know we've got our double world champion or sorry double olympic champion lift, lifting at home he's coming back from essentially two years off of elite training and blah blah blah, blah. Like, it was literally like the, the perfect yeah like everything everything came together there so that was crazy but um in terms of training i'm trying to think of like what else i've seen that was really impressive i mean you know amian chol front squatting 185 was a pretty stunning lift yeah and i'm still kind of mad that i kind of missed it gregor got it yeah. um but that was in that was an ashgabat but what happened was, was I was kind of splitting, uh, I was shooting, um, uh, Guotzing Chun doing some squats. And I was also shooting the, the North Korean session. And most of the North Koreans had essentially wrapped up what they were doing. So I was kind of doing both. And then Amyan Chol did 175 front squat. And it seemed like he was done. Yeah. Um, the way that they were treating it was like he was done, and he should and be. And then they put on one. What's as, that? As, and as he should be as a lifter of his weight, yeah. one squatting one seventy five. Yeah, keep in mind that he was he was lifting as a fifty five. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't even lifting as a fifty six. Yeah, which, which is you know, it's only one kilo, but it's still it, it, if he had been in that competition as like a sixty one. Yeah. I probably would have stayed because I would have assumed he would have done more. Yeah. Because I've seen him front squat once. That normally, his normal competition routine as a 56 was to do a 175 front squat two or three days out, yeah. usually two days out. And I'd seen him do that multiple times. I'd seen him do it in Poland in 2013. Uh, he did it in Almaty in 2014. I don't remember for sure if that's what he did in Houston 2015, but he did something like that yeah. in Houston 2015. And so I'd seen him do it before, and I was like, you know what? I got the 175. He's he's probably done. Then I saw them put 185 on, and I was like, I saw Gregor standing right in front of him, so I knew that the video was going to exist if he did do a front squat, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't just get lost into the, you know, the ether of weightlifting training halls or whatever. But... Um, I was like, you know what? He's not going to do a front squat. He's just going to do some sort of like jerk hold or jerk dip or something. something. Yeah, it's yeah, just some some sort of like jerk support. Because I was like, if he was going to do a jump, he wouldn't go from 75 to 85. He would do like 75, 80. Because I'd seen him stop at 80 at 75 so many times. Yeah. So I was like, he's not going to do a front squat. And, and Guo was about to do her top set, which was like 160 back squat for three or something. But... Anyway, so I missed it because I was trying to decide yeah. and actually settled on getting the, the Guo back squat. Um, but anyway, Gregor got it. But that was pretty impressive. Like, like doing 185 front squat at 55 is pretty impressive. I know that there's, like, those, like, Ivan Ivanov, like, yeah, yeah. 210 at 
two video from a while back, but still, that's a pretty crazy front squat. Yeah, like, percent, yeah. I've seen some other, other obviously big training hall lifts, but it's hard to remember every one. Yeah. Do you have um? Do you have a favorite lifter? So obviously, it sounds like earlier I'm going to pretty, pretty up there. But is anyone at the moment who's currently lifting? Yeah, Ilya's up there for sure. Um, Aram now was kind of one of the guys that really got me interested in the sport. Um, like watching his videos from like 2007, 2008 are pretty crazy. And yeah. I, I love his snatch technique. So good, yeah. Um, his, his clean and jerk is kind of a little too wild for me. Like how he doesn't really wait and how he's always rotating to the right. And yeah. It's just like... He's clearly got some some issues with the clean and jerk, even though he can do some big numbers. But his snatch technique to me is just like perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's partly body proportions. Like he can't just mimic his technique and be like, okay, I'm a better snatcher. But yeah, he he, he like puts it all together with like strength and power and big numbers and body proportions and technique and everything. To me, it, it's really like I love watching him lift. But uh, I don't know, you know. I do actually really, really like watching um, Tian Tao, especially in the clean yeah. and jerk. Like, you know, I'd have to be like Aram now in the snatch and Tian Tao in the clean and jerk. The thing that gives me pause, the reason why I didn't immediately say Tian Tao, is because he's just so, so like just inconsistent. Like, yeah, he's not yeah. one of these guys who you're like, okay, he's going to nail it. It's yeah, like one yeah. of these guys where it's like, he could nail it. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. Or maybe he won't. You know, maybe, maybe he'll like just fuck up this jerk or whatever but his clean is just like it's got to be amazing it's got to be yeah. the best clean in the world like it's just perfect and it's like it's perfect all the way up but then every jerk looks like maybe yeah maybe not yeah maybe maybe not every jerk's pretty wild like he's obviously capable i mean we've all seen him do big stuff i just saw yeah. him do yeah. 231 a few weeks ago but um like his his jerk is unpredictable you know yeah. you can't yeah. count on it you know Miso's but, uh, uh, Miso's father said as such they're like they're not even in so, they basically said they're not even worried about him at Tokyo because he's so inconsistent they're almost assuming he's just going to bomb up now yeah which it was we thought was interesting but. I don't really agree with that like I think that Tian Tao is um, first of all it's not like Tian Tao bombs out that much he no. does come close to bombing out very yeah. close but I think he um, god damn it computer uh hopefully my keyboard isn't in the shot i can't tell but no 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 so, no, no. my password um <laughs> we've so, got we've um, got the store people would 100 percent see that as well some of the listeners would be some clarence fans and they would be all over that now that's why your power went yeah. down yeah <laughs> yeah exactly the um what was I gonna say? I, I actually think that Tian or uh, Meso and his dad or Miso and his dad are wrong. Like I yeah. think that Tian Tao is is a big threat. Yeah. Um, no doubt, one hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I think Miso's best chance is really just for um, for Sorab to not be there. It seems like that though, doesn't it? At the moment, it seems like he, he shoulders well. If you take the story to be true, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if yeah. the fact that there's been two kind of strange stories about injuries in the last three months. Back surgery to 200 kilo snatch attempts. Or yeah. I hate my back gets hurt like that and I always end up attempting 200 kilo snatches. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I do know it's possible that it's true because yeah. Yeah. There the, was the Iranian lifter 
Well, the Iranian lifters are always telling me that Sorov goes heavy too often. Really? Like, I would say three or four Iranian lifters have told me that. Oh, really? Really? That's very interesting. Like, so Sorov actually does go heavy too often, yeah. and they don't know why he does it, and this and that. Is he kind of so, self-coached, or is it just of his own kind of, regardless of what his coach is saying, is he just, like, going for it? Yeah, there's times where, like, he just wouldn't listen to the coach, and he would just go heavy. It's crazy. So, yeah. Um... And actually, even before he got injured at Asian Championships, two Iranian lifters at Asian Championships this year told me that Sorab's going to injure himself because he's going too heavy. Yeah. So, um, That's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. I do kind of believe it, yeah. that, that he actually did injure himself. But, of course, we all know all the stories about, you know, people being injured and it's actually yeah. drugs yeah. and all, yeah. all this stuff. So, who knows? Like, you can't really trust it for sure. But, um... I think that if Sorab doesn't go, mm -hmm. then I think that Miso has a good chance at a medal. For sure. Um, because obviously Tian Tao would be the obvious gold medal choice. And then yeah, right. there's a couple other people who have, um, you know, decent shots and stuff like that. But... That uh, Belarusian, he's, he's young yeah. as well. He's very good. Although he, yeah. uh, he looks like, dare I say it, uh, an impending doping case currently. Yeah, he's you know. skyrocketing. Well, that's the thing about like what I was saying. Like, I think some countries are still doping. Yeah. Like, if you look at it, I mean, his name's Sikansu or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Um, so, if you look at his like demeanor and his power and yeah. his Crazy. lifting yeah. style and all this stuff, it's like it's hard to believe that he's clean. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't want to. I don't typically like accuse people of doping when they haven't been caught. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, fair, fair. We will. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a couple times where I have. Yeah. And actually, there was one funny time where I was actually right about it, but yeah, I'll tell that story later if you guys want to know. But definitely, um, definitely. there's a like, there's definitely something about that guy's lifting style and lifting numbers and all this other stuff. Yeah. That makes you think maybe he's not clean. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like and, back you know, watching him lift. I've, the power is crazy. So crazy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen enough lifting with people who are dirty and people who are clean to have a relatively good idea. Yeah. Now, there's some people who are kind of like, yeah, they they seem like they're not clean, but then other indications mean that they are clean. Like an example would be like watching like. Sajay, you clean like 210 like a joke at 77. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, your, your inclination would be, Aspect. well, that number's just too big. He's got to yeah. be dirty. Yeah. But then you look at how many times South Koreans have gotten popped and all this other stuff, and you're like, wait, is he clean? Yeah. It's you hard to tell. In yeah. our country, it's very hard to kind of, I can't decide really. It's really, really, really for most of those lifters, you're like, I've literally, it's very hard to make a decision. A massive yeah. guesstimate, yeah. I suppose, really. And it's a similar thing with Japan. With someone like Toshiki, you'd be like, well, he's he looks like he could clean 220, 225 yeah. because he cleans 10 like nothing. Yeah, I think he said that in an interview recently. And someone asked him, was like, do you think you clean 220? And he, I, I can't remember where it was, but someone had asked him that, and he was just like, yeah, no problem. I mean, of course he could, you know, because yeah. he cleans 210 like nothing, so yeah. why couldn't he clean 220? But... You kind of look at him and you're like, this guy's jacked, he's yeah. ripped, 
he's cleaning these huge weights like nothing blah right. blah 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 yeah but then he's from japan yeah and they would... which it's not really known to be like a doping like i'm pretty sure that japan doesn't have like state-sponsored doping going on no no, 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 no. So, so you know there's there's people that i would say are like for sure not doping you know you see like an irish lifter showing up snatching like <laughs> 57 yeah or something like that in like the uh 76 kilo female class and you're like well if you're snatching 67 in the 76s yeah you're probably not doping you never know that you know you look like you started training like six months ago i'm not trying to make fun no 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 go ahead we take the piss out of irish people all the time (laughs) no no no. i'm obviously there actually are some some decent irish lifters but um like then then you see people on like the extreme end you see like you know rehimov like clean and jerking like 217 and training before the olympics and you're like yeah okay yeah he's doping yeah like, yeah, you yeah. Just tell yeah by the power and the speed and like the just just the, like the strength involved that yeah you just know he's doping yeah, yeah. now whether they're gonna get caught or this or that or like yeah. you know when i saw like poto Bedova lifting in um in London, I was like, you know, it seems like she's she's doping when she when she came out and beat. Um, I think she had to take a lift to beat Zabalatnaya from Russia, mm-hmm. and she ended up taking like one sixty one or something like that, and, and made the clean and jerk in one. Yep. And then I saw her in the audience like the next day and asked her for a picture. Well, I had someone who speaks Russian ask her for a picture. Yeah. And her voice was literally deeper than like any guy's voice I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. So usually a symptom. <laughs> Like, you know that she's doping. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's people who are kind of like in the middle, like the kind of like the Sajay Yukes, who you're like, well, their numbers indicate they're doping, but a lot of other factors indicate they're not. So there's some people I'm kind of like uncertain about. Um, But for instance, did he he got kicked off the team for punching another team member or something? Was it or something like that? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. He, um, he like got kicked out of the federation because yeah. of uh, getting into that fight with that guy. He was kind of done though, wasn't he? Um, I mean, he was he was fighting with a super though. So in my mind, like, yeah. I don't know why you're getting out for that. It's kind of like, yeah. you know goals. what I mean? Like, it's kind of like if anything, you give him extra points. For that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, clearly, is huge balls because he attempted two eleven like three separate times. He did it in uh, a Korean nationals once, and there was a video. I think. Maybe. Yeah. I think he actually tried 212 once as well. Maybe yeah. in like the 2009 World in Goyang. Yeah, I think to beat Lou or something, he had to do it. But something it, like that. 